As I mentioned previously, John Napier was looking for a way to develop an inverse relationship of exponential functions. And he came up with the word logarithm because he did it a little differently than we're going to, to do the inverse. But he used an idea of an easier way to do repeated multiplication through addition. And you'll see where the addition and the multiplication are related in the next section when we look at the properties of a logarithm. But the word logarithm actually comes from logos, which stood for ratio, and arithmos, which stood for addition. And so you'll see when we look at the properties how it's kind of related to ratios and addition as well. So we think of it as y equals b to the x, looking for an inverse function of this. And what we're looking for is the x value, right? We were looking for t in the previous example. We want to know the exponent that was raised to, that we raised b to, the exponent that we raised b to in order to get the output y. And because it's a new function and it's the opposite, it's the inverse of exponential, and so we need to call it something. So we called it, well, Napier called it logarithm. Log base b of y is x is another way to write y equals b to the x. The exponent log that we raised b to in order to get, in this case, y is x. The exponent logarithm that we raised b to in order to get y is x. And we're going to do a lot of examples of this. So all I care about right now is that you understand the idea that we needed an inverse function of this in order to find the inputs that gave us an output. And like any other time in mathematics, when we need a new function, we get to define one and then look at its properties. So Napier defined this function. And then after that, he and his, and his followers, the people after him, found more elegant ways to work with it and eventually developed the system of logarithms in the form that we work with it in today. So let's investigate logarithms with the function y equals 2 to the x. I think it's usually easier to start with that function. We have different inputs for x. I'm going to start with negative 3, negative 2, negative 1. I should be using red for my exponent inputs, right? Negative 2, negative 1, 0, 1, 2, 3. We can go up to 4, I suppose. And then we're plugging these inputs into the function 2 to the x. So we have 2 to the negative 3 is there's that negative exponent, meaning 1 over 2 cubed, which is 1 eighth. 2 to the negative 2 is 1 over 2 squared, which is 1 fourth. 2 to the negative 1, I'm running out of room here, is 1 over 2, 1 half. 2 to the 0, 1. 2 to the 1 is 2, 2 squared is 4, 2 cubed is 8, and 2 to the 4th is 16. So we've been looking at this a lot. If we save some space on your notes, and we come over and we draw the graph, when x is 0, we have y equals 1. When x is 1, y is 2. I'm going to be a little careful about my scale just because I'm also going to draw its inverse. And you might recall that when you draw the 
inverse you want to be as accurate as possible so you can see the relationship between the two functions. So I have 0, 1, negative 1, a half, negative 2, a quarter. We have this typical exponential function. Gets steeper as x gets larger. And approaches the line y equals 0 as x approaches negative infinity. Now, if I want to go backwards from the graph, suppose I want to know what the exponent should be in order to get an output of, say, 6. Then that question would be 2 to the x equals 6, find x. And I could look at the table or I could look at the graph. If I look at the graph, as I mentioned before, 6 is halfway between 4 and 8, right? So up here somewhere. So I would start at my 6. If I'm on a graphing calculator, I could say y equals 6, and I could find the intersection. And it's somewhere in here. And I know that 2 to the third equals 8. So here's my input of 3 giving me an output of 8. So it looks to me like the exponent is somewhere between 2 and 3, closer to 3. If I look at the table back here, 6 is between 4 and 8, and so my input is between 2 and 3. Now you might say, between, since 6 is halfway between 4 and 8, that the input should be halfway between 2 and 3, right? Seems like that. But with exponential functions, we can see that it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. It's not a linear function. It gets steeper as x gets bigger, so that affects our answer. So anyway, this is just an example of how we might want to go backwards, right? What if you wanted to know exactly what input made an output of 16? You could go directly to your graph and say, with with an output of 16, our input must have been 4. And we can see that that's easy to do, right? But this process, going from the output to the previous input of the function, is finding the inverse function. And you remember how to find inverse functions? This is why you had to learn it, mostly. Interchange your inputs and your outputs. The new x really is represented by the output of the original function. So my inputs of the inverse are 1 8, 1 4th, 1 half, 1, 2, 4, 8, 16. All powers of 2 in this table, all easy powers of 2 because of the way I define the table. Now the inverse, I could call f inverse of x if I call 2 to the x f of x. We need a name for that. I did mention it. It's called the log base b. In this case, what's our base? What's the thing that we're raising to a power? The base in this case is 2. Now, instead of putting y here, I've interchanged x and y, haven't I? So now, my new y is really x, and my new x is really y. Remember, that switching is very confusing. So the nice thing about the switching x and y is, now I've got an inverse function of x is log base 2 of x. So that means I'm going to say this quite a few times log base 2 of 1, let's start with 1, log base 2 of 1, if I just look on my table, interchanging x and y, it has to be equal to 0, doesn't it? 
So this is one of the first properties they discovered about the logarithm, is that the log base b of 1 has to be 0 because, and this is a very useful technique too, because 2 to the 0 is 1. So because 2 to the 0 is 1, then going backwards, log of 1 has to be 0 because log is the exponent that you raised 2 to in order to get an output of 1 from the original function. We'll keep doing this. It'll make sense over time if it doesn't yet. Log base 2 of 2. If I just use the table and go backwards, the log base 2 of 2 has to correspond to an input of 1. So the log base 2 of 2 must be 1 because... 2 to the 1 is 2. So the exponent that you raise 2 to in order to get 2 back again has to be 1. Remember, if you remember that a log a log is an exponent, that'll help keep things straight. A log represents an exponent. The exponent you raise 2 to in order to get 2 is 1. What exponent did you raise 2 to? in order to get 4. What did you do to 2 to get 4? Well, there are two options, right? You could say you multiplied by 2, or you could say you took 2 to the power of 2. So maybe an easier example is to skip down to 8. What exponent did you raise 2 to in order to get 8? There is clearly 3, right? And the exponent you raised 2 to in order to get 4 is 2. 2 cubed is 8, 2 squared is 4. What exponent did you raise 2 to in order to get 16? 4, right? 2 to the 4 is 16. If we go back to our original function that our log is representing, 2 to the 4 is 16. So log base 2 of 16 is 4. Now we'll go to the fractions, because those are actually more difficult. If you just use a table, it's easy. You just swap the x and y. But I want you to, as you swap x and y, I want you to think about what the log function says. What exponent did you raise 2 to in order to get 1 over 2? Well, to get the fraction, you had to have a negative exponent, right? And since it's 2 to the first power in the bottom, that's negative 1. That's because 2 to the negative 1 is 1 half. Or if you just look at your original table, when x was negative 1, y was a half. So for the inverse, x is a half, y is negative 1. Inputting 1 fourth into log says, what exponent did you raise 2 to in order to get 1 fourth? The 1 over means the exponent had to be negative. And 4 is 2 squared, so the exponent was negative 2. Because 2 to the negative 2 is 1 over 2 squared, or 1 over 4. Or look at your original table and just switch x and y. What exponent did you raise 2 to in order to get 1 eighth? The 1 over means a negative exponent. And the 8 came from cubing 2, so the exponent was negative 3, because, I'm just going to use an arrow because I'm running out of room, 2 to the negative 3 is 
1 over 2 cubed, 1 over 8. So what I've done is to use a table from my original function, y equals 2 to the x, interchange x and y, while at the same time thinking about the fact that this new function that's been defined, the logarithm base 2 of x, means the exponent that you raise the base to, this, in this case the base is 2, in order to get an output of the original function of, say, 8. So the exponent you raised 2 to in order to get 8 was 3. So the output of the log function is 3 for an input of 8 because, going back one more time to our original table, the input of the exponential function was 3 in order to give us an output of 8. So we have inverse functions in table form for 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, what, 8? Maybe I can count. Uh, yeah, 8. 8 inputs and 8 outputs. Now, if I want to look at the graph, I've already graphed f of x equals 2 to the x. And I'm actually, instead of y, I'm going to call this f of x. And hopefully with these inverse functions, you're seeing another reason why we have to learn this notation f of x as opposed to just y. Because y is not very specific. Whereas f of x and f inverse of x are more specific ways to talk about y. So, or outputs. So this is e, sorry, I'm used to e. This is 2 to the x. Our base is 2 this time. And using the graph, I saw that um, for, an, for a value of 6, the corresponding exponent was you know, somewhere close to 3. 2 to the 2 point something is equal to 6. I don't know the exact value. And actually, unless I just write it as a logarithm, I'm never going to know the exact value. It's always going to be an approximation, which we'll see coming up. But I know that it's somewhere around here, it's 2 point something. If I want to look at the graph of its inverse, then I just interchange the x and y coordinates, right? So my original function had the coordinates 0, 1, and 1, 2, and 2, 4, 3, 8, negative 1, 1 half, negative 2, 1 fourth. And so the inverse of that function should have the inverse coordinates. So instead of the point 0, 1, we have the point 1, 0. And I'm going to get rid of this part because I don't want to have too much on one graph. And instead of the point 1, 2, I interchange x and y, and I get 2, 1. And instead of the point 2, 4, I interchange x and y, and I get 4, 2. Instead of 3, 8, I have to go all the way out to 8. An input of 8 in the inverse function corresponds to an output of 3. The exponent I raised 2 to in order to get 8 was 3. Instead of the point negative 1 half, I have the point 1 half, comma, negative 1. All I'm doing is graphing 
the switched coordinates in order to get the graph of the inverse of 2 to the x. And instead of the point negative 2 a quarter, I have the point 1 quarter comma negative 2. Instead of negative 3 and eighth, I would have 1 eighth negative 3. So you can see this graph is hugging the y-axis here. And it looks like it never touches it, right? We'll talk about why we know that for sure in just a second. And then I come up here, I pass through the x-axis at the point 1, 0. Then I go up from here. Oh, I put my coordinate too high. I can tell because the graph gets less steep as time goes on. 3 is halfway between 2 and 4, so that's about right. This is the graph of f inverse of x, defined to be the log base 2 of whatever your input is. The exponent raised to 2 in order to get x is called the inverse function of the exponential function. So this is the graph. You can see we have that symmetry with respect to the line y equals x still. I'm going to uh, go ahead and get rid of my, my justification over here so I have more room. So now I just have my inputs and outputs for the two different functions. And let's talk about domain and range for a moment on this one, and then we'll move more generally into other exponential functions and their inverses. So the domain of f, I'll try to keep that in blue, the domain and range. The domain of f, actually I'll put range in red. You can either look at the graph or you can remember or you can look at the table. What are the possible inputs for f? f is f of x is 2 to the x. So is there any value that you cannot raise 2 to? You can raise 2 to negative values, you can raise 2 to 0, and you can raise 2 to all positive real values. So you may recall the domain of f of x, the domain of f is all real numbers. You can also see it from the graph because x goes from negative infinity to positive infinity. The graph gets really steep as x gets bigger, but you could keep going forever, right? Just really fast growth. What's the range of f? What are the possible outputs of this exponential function? You can never get 0 out of 2 to the x, can you? We have a horizontal asymptote of y equals 0, and you're never going to get negative unless you multiply the whole thing by negative. So the outputs of 2 to the x are just above 0 to infinity. So 0 open to infinity. Now let's talk about the domain of the log function. Log base 2 of x is our inverse, right? Inverse f of x equals log base 2 of x. And what is the domain? Because we switched x and y, the domain of f inverse is the same as the range of f. So I have the range of f is the domain 
of F inverse. And the domain of F, excuse me, the range of F was zero to infinity. So that's what our domain is. Also, if you look at the graph, that justifies what I was saying about how it looks like we have a vertical asymptote at uh, the y-axis, because x cannot equal zero. x cannot equal zero because the y-values of the original function could not equal zero. So because because the y-values of the original function would never quite reach zero, and we're all positive, that means the x values of the inverse have to all be positive and can never reach zero because we've switched x and y. So our domain of logarithms have to, has to be zero, not including zero, to infinity. So if you ever try on your calculator when, you, um, when we go over how to use a calculator, if you ever try to do log of zero, it's going to say undefined. Or log of negative numbers, it's going to say undefined. Because there's no way you could have gotten 0 or a negative from the original function 2 to the x. The range, on the other hand, was the domain of the original function. The range of the inverse was the domain of the original. Since the domain of the original function was all real numbers, the range of the logarithm function is all real numbers. And if you look at the graph, again, you can see the graph starts at that concept of negative infinity. The closer you get to 0, the steeper the graph gets and the faster it goes to negative infinity, that concept. So it comes up from negative infinity, hits 0, y is 0. Then y values keep growing, albeit slowly, It's a very slow growth function. Um, When we get into applications, you'll see how that comes into play. But notice, for a a change of 1 on the y, a change of 1 in the y values, between 1 and 2, you only have to go over 1 and up 1, right? And then, to get another increase of 1 on the y values, you have to go over 2 on the x values. For an increase of 1 here on the y, you have to go over 2 on the x. And for an increase of 1 on the y, I can't write it in because my function's in the way. For an increase of 1 on the y values here, you have an increase of 4 on the x values. So as x gets bigger, the slope of the derivative, right, the slope of the logarithm function gets smaller. So you're going to see, actually, when we look at the derivative of the log function, there's an inverse relationship between x and the slope. The bigger x is, the smaller the slope. That's because the graph kind of slows down over time, doesn't it? And the opposite of exponential, which increases more and more quickly over time. So it all makes sense because it's the inverse of the exponential function. There's one other thing that I didn't mention about the relationship between these two graphs. It's another reason why we have a vertical asymptote of x equals 0 for the logarithm function. The horizontal asymptote of the original function is y equals 0. If you switch x and y, Then instead of having y equals 0, we have x equals 0. Instead of it being horizontal, 
for the like it is for the original function. Now it's vertical for the inverse. So for f inverse, we have a vertical asymptote of x equals 0 because for f, we had a horizontal asymptote of y equals 0. Horizontal line test compared to the vertical line test. All of those things come from inverse functions interchanging x and y. And that's a lot to talk about, and you're going to see it all again with more examples. But I like to start with 2 to the x because it's also the first exponential I believe we look at. The domain and range, if you keep the graphs in mind, remember e to the x, or sorry, 2 to the x, d to the x in general, and you flip it over on the line y equals x, you're going to have the shape of the graph of the log function. And it's going to refresh your memory of what the domain of log needs to be greater than 0, and that the range is all possible real numbers. And we're going to do this again for more, more functions. And then we'll have a general sense of the logarithm function. And then we're going to work with it and use it to save us a lot of time in solving equations and then beyond solving equations.